Vintage brand is the story of American sporting culture, combining our rich history, traditions, rituals, and pageantry. Weaving together more than a century of American sports memories and images, it defines what tradition really means. Come experience the history and rituals. Remember and honor the legends. Feel the passion and pageantry of the past. Welcome to the greatest collection of American sports history and images, all reproduced on fan apparel and merchandise. Welcome to Vintage Brand. The 1982 NFL season was dramatically compromised by a player strike. Regardless, for Danny and his Cowboys, the destination remained the same, a third straight trip to the NFC Championship game. I know, Danny, you were not afraid to speak your mind about how you really felt about that situation as you revisit that. Uh, any regrets about the fact that you came out? You were very blunt and very honest about the scenario in 1982. Well, I, I was very honest. The only regret I have is that we didn't, when it was over, we didn't come together, get in a room, lock the door, and just air it out. Hmm. Never did that. Uh -huh. There were hard feelings. Uh, there, there was a, a lot of stuff that continued to kind of just be kept inside about players not liking other players. And boy, that'll kill a team. The chemistry of a football team, there is no sport in the world like football when it comes to chemistry. Um, and that broke our chemistry. And yeah, I, I came out. My feeling was, look, I have a contract to play football. I'm going to honor that contract as long as the Cowboys are playing. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to play. And Tony Dorsett, Randy White, you know, we we continued to play, and we created a division in the locker room between the players, and uh, that we never we never overcame in that season at least, uh, and it really hurt us. And teams like the 49ers did that. I mean, I read an article yep. about how they came together, they got in a room, and everybody talked about it, here's how, what I feel, here's what I feel, here's what, and you know what, they came out of there loving each other and shaking hands and went on to win a, a world championship, so that was the difference, and that's the only regret that I have, is that we didn't do that. All the way back for the third straight trip to the NFC Championship game, you you were knocked out in in that game. Uh, by a guy, one of the most uh, f fearsome pass rushers of his era, Dexter Manley. I got to ask you, Danny. I'm also I got to make make a confession here. Waited well into the interview, but I'm actually a Giants season ticket holder. I'm an old New England guy. When the Giants were New England's team, and I was a Giants fan because of my dad. And uh, but the NFC East at that time in the '80s, twice a year, you're looking at Dexter Manley and Charles Mann. You're looking at Reggie White, guys like. Uh, 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 Jerome Brown and 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 uh, Carl Hairston with the Eagles, the, the Giants. Oh, by the way, with a guy named LT and uh, a guy named Kyle Banks, who obviously factored in uh, a couple of years later with with a hit. Leonard Marshall. I mean, from a quarterback standpoint, I mean, you were really living a life on the edge where you had to have a great trust in your offensive line just to be able to stay upright from week to week. I mean, that was six games of your schedule playing those three teams twice a year. My goodness. Yeah, you're right. And, and they're some of the great pass rushers of all time. And that's where I was so glad that I played for a coach like Tom Landry because he was a genius when it came to slowing down a pass rush. And mm. LT, as great a pass rusher as LT was, I don't 
Hmm. But it kept him out of our back. And so we, he, he never was a big factor. And it was because of the way that Tom Landry configured our offense that kind of kept him at bay. Uh, so I, you know, I, and, and he, that was true of all those other guys we talked about. The one team that got to us in my career was the Chicago Bears. The bit with the Bears, yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't play them twice a year. Right. But when we did in 1985, they beat us 44 to nothing oh. in Texas Stadium. Oh. And we were the division champions that year. That's right. Yeah. They beat us 44 to nothing in Texas Stadium, knocked me out of the game three times. Otis Wilson knocked me out twice. This was this was the good old days when you went over on the sideline with a concussion. They waved an ammonia capsule under your nose and said, get back out there. Mm. You know, <laughs> right. Uh, so I kept going back out. Finally, uh, Gary Fensick put his top of his helmet in my rib cage and broke my rib. Mm. That finally knocked me out of that game. But oh. uh, again, back in the day, that would have totally been, he'd have been kicked out of the game for doing that today. Right. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, Chicago Bears of 84 and 85 with that fair defense uh, was the toughest defense I ever played against, and I was just grateful. <laughs> I didn't play in that division. I had to play those guys twice. <laughs> that, that's right. You had a reprieve there. And, uh, and coming back, your best uh, statistical season, 1983, uh, a, a playoff loss to the Rams, and, and then some controversy the next year with uh, Gary Hogboom was uh, appointed as a starting quarterback for a time. Uh, you were back. And then you mentioned that 1985, I think, I look back in your career, Danny, one of your finest seasons, you're, you got the C on the jersey as uh, one of the co-captains of the team. You were welcomed back as a starter and won the division. I remember that as a Giants fan as the Jim Jeffcoat game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in 1985 with the Giants, and uh, you, got the, you got your club back to the playoffs that year. Uh, the Rams became a bit of a nemesis uh, to your Cowboy teams there at, at that, uh, in that era. Yeah, they kind of did. You know, Vince Ferragamo and, and that group, Eric Dickerson, that came along, and they, they had they had some great teams. Again, we were not in their division, but we were in their conference, and so we ended up having to play them in the playoffs uh, every year. And yeah, they beat us in 83 uh, in the first round of the playoffs, and I had my best statistical year of my career. I was in the Pro Bowl, yeah. all pro, and, and uh, which was kind of weird. I think Coach Landry called me into his office that there was a lot of pressure from the media and the fans, and so he, he was going to start Gary Hogaboo. He said, I think you're going to be back uh, by the middle of the season, and I was. <laughs> but uh, it did a lot of damage. You know, it, that cost us that whole year. 1984 was the one year in the in the 80s when, when I was playing that we didn't go to the playoffs. Right, right. It, in the five years that I started and finished the season as the starting quarterback, we played in 10 playoff games. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people think of the 80s as a bad year for the Cowboys. And, you know, we didn't win any Super Bowls, but uh, we played in a lot of playoff games. We were in the hunt every year, except for that 1984 season. And then in 80, 86, we were 6-2. Rolling, yeah. 
Yeah, I was at that game, by the way. Oh, my God. Sorry. I could come down and help. Oh. I, I, I could have come down and help, exactly. Oh, my oh. God, I remember that game. That was a huge game, November at, at uh, Giants Stadium. Uh, coming in 6-2, and two, you had the number one offense. Uh, the Giants obviously had the elite defense. And uh, it was uh, that was one of the, it was a pivotal game. Once again, one of those games that was really a turning point for both franchises at the time. You were the number one rated passer in the NFC. Oh yeah, by far we were we were on a, on track to break all of the offensive records in the NFL that year. It was the first year of Herschel Walker and Tony Dorsett in the back. Well, you talk about a dream team. Mm. Herschel <laughs> could play any position. He could play tight end. He could play in the slot. He could play wide. He could play fullback. He could play tailback. Probably could have played right guard. But he was a receiver, and we would just shift him to different places, and the defense didn't know what to do. And we just had an automatic call that if he ever got a linebacker or a safety over him, he was just going to run as fast as he could straight down the field. And I knew I had that. And if I ever got... That coverage, without a safety back there helping, I was going to throw him the ball for a touchdown. <laughs> that easy. And, uh, yeah, that game against the Giants, Carl Banks came on a blitz and didn't. nobody blocked him. Uh, hit me and broke my wrist. Oof. And uh, that was pretty much the end of my career. I came back and played a couple more years, mostly as a backup. But I just couldn't throw the ball like I had earlier. And... Uh, so, yeah, Carl Banks got to me on that one. And, uh, so it was a it was a great run. And, you know, we were, again, on pace. To, uh, it was the most fun I'd ever had playing football in 1986 uh, because of Herschel Walker. Yeah. Uh, but it ended up uh, in, a bad, in a bad way, and uh, that was the end of our season. And and you'd beaten the Giants. I can remember well you, the uh, the Monday night opening game of the year. Uh, Herschel had a big game. You had a big big game. The Cowboys beat the Giants, who had great expectations. But uh, that game really a turning point. Do you see Kyle Banks? You're both color analysts for your former teams. Do you see Kyle Banks, or do you duck when you see him in the press box at a Giants Cowboys game, Danny? <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't get behind me. I can tell you that. <laughs> Yeah. And he was a bad guy. He was a uh, Nazi German, and 
mm. size, but, but you know, the guys that I played against, Carl Banks, um, and they're, they're actually good guys, mm. and uh, mm. it's always mm. one of the interesting parts of the game, I guess. I, I guess another one I'm going to assume is maybe Herm Edwards was once the devil on the other side for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now he's the head coach at your alma mater. You must like him too now. That's right. Yeah, Herm, Herm was. We, we have fun talking about those. <laughs> when I, you know, I, I avoided him at all costs. Never throw it to that side. Never throw it to my left. Herm Edwards is over there. Tony Hill gets involved in it in the discussion because Tony and Herm were, were teammates in college. Yes. Mm. Tony claims that he, he could beat Herm any time he wanted to. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting discussion, and I'm in between the two, you know. Of course, Tony Hill is my guy, mm. so I, I get to tease Herm a little bit about that. <laughs> and, and you mentioned about finishing up, and you really I read uh, some reports, and I had a couple of actually diehard Dallas Cowboys fans say, it's amazing you, you were able to, you did finish up in those next couple of years, but from that wrist injury, you really had to change just to be able to get the ball, release the ball. You had to really change your throwing style completely. It was very arduous, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and to this day, you know, I, ha- I only have about 50% oh, really? uh, motion in my right wrist. And you know what? It hurts my golf game more than it hurt my football game. <laughs> <laughs> it took about 20 yards off my drive. Oh. Had to completely change my golf game. That that that's the biggest uh, <laughs> the biggest problem with breaking your wrist. But yeah, no, I, you're, you're right, Bernie. I had to throw more with my shoulder and my arm. I didn't have that snap at the end of my throw when you let the ball go, and and uh, so I had to find other ways. And I never did get the same velocity on my throws that I had had before I broke my wrist. Mm-hmm. Went on to coach uh, and uh, coach uh, at a, uh, a very uh, prominent level. Uh, once again, another league covered by the White family, the Arena Football League. You found a home uh, many years, 1992 to 2004, with the Arizona Rattlers, then the Utah Blaze. You won the Arena Bowl Championship on three occasions, 162 career victories, made the playoffs again, once again, as in your playing career, uh, knocking on the door, playoffs 10 out of 11 years. That experience, as you look back, you were close to being, you know, get an opportunity to come back to your roots, back to Arizona. Uh, NFL opportunities uh, that had come up at that time was there? Was there some interest? Was there some jobs that uh, you might have aspired to that you had interest in? And but you certainly carved out a great niche and a great career uh, as as a coach there, and had an opportunity to really impact in the Arena League, where you were later named to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, it was a great a great time. Uh, probably the most fun I ever had in football was coaching at that level. Being the head coach, the play caller, designed the whole offense, um, and uh, had, had a blast, won some championships, won the first national professional sports championship in the state of Arizona, ah. which I was proud of. Jerry Colangelo was, was my boss. Hmm. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. I probably, if I had a regret, um, I did have some opportunities to go back into the NFL and, uh, as a quarterback coach, but it would mean taking a cut in pay. Sure. I would have to go to a year-round. I'd have to move, first of all, wherever I was hired. And if, as a quarterback coach, kind of start at the bottom and work my way up. I probably should have done that, Bernie. If I had it to do hmm. over again, I just kept thinking, 
thinking the Arena League was going to catch on and really take off, and it just never did. Uh, the TV ratings were not what we hoped they would be, and, and I kind of spent my career, by the time I was done coaching in the Arena League, those opportunities to go into the NFL were not there anymore. So uh, I ended up going into broadcasting, Yeah, uh, which you're probably going to cover next, and that's been a great ride. I've enjoyed every minute of that. Yeah, oh, and no, no doubt. And uh, as uh, now the longtime uh, color analyst on the uh, Compass Media Network for America's team, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, enjoying that role, and I, I'm sure the proverbial, it looks real easy from up top, but when you got the perspective and the insight that a Danny White has, I can imagine it looks real easy to the point of almost ridiculous at times. G- great to have that bird's eye view from the sky as to what's actually breaking down on the field, Danny. I'm sure you enjoy that perspective. <laughs> well, what, what advantage is the angle? <laughs> you know, right. Nobody, you know, got, somebody's got to come up with a helmet cam. And they've gotten pretty close with this camera now that they swing around up above the oh, yeah. game. And they drop down behind the quarterback sometimes. But if the fans could see the game from the angle of the quarterback, hmm. give you a whole new perspective, especially if you're a quarterback like Tyler Murray. And you're, you're 5'9", and you hmm. can see over those guys. Hmm. And, you know, that viewpoint, I mean, it's easy when you're sitting up at the stands or up in the press box looking down, and, hey, that guy was wide open. Yeah. Well, let's break it down a little bit. That six, eight defensive end was right in the face of the quarterback. How's he supposed to see that? <laughs> see that see downfield, and, and it gives you a, a totally different perspective. So having that, you're right. Uh, it, I, I get a little bit too simplistic sometimes in the broadcast in that, you know, I don't, I don't talk about the things as the fans see them. Yeah. And, and that's the hard thing to, that's the hardest thing I think for any player to adjust to is thinking of the game as the fans think of it and not as you think of it or as you remember it or you know it. Mm. And that was one of the adjustments that I had to make as a broadcaster. But I, you know, I worked for companies in out for 12 years doing all the Cowboys games on the national radio broadcast, and it has been an absolute dream. <laughs> uh, the people I work with are the greatest. Michelle Salvatore, Kevin Ray is my play-by-play guy, and the, the, you know, the directors and uh, producers and all the people at Compass Media have been fantastic to work with. It's going to be great uh, being in uh, some stadiums with fans once again. Uh, broadcasting in an empty stadium last year must have been downright eerie for you on many levels. Well, we went to SoFi Stadium for the opening game. That beautiful stadium in L.A. Oh, the new, yeah. Yep. It's supposed to be the grand opening of the stadium. And you walk into that place and you're the only one there. Mm. I mean, most of the media, all the Dallas media just stayed in, in Dallas and did everything from there. We were... We were the only broadcast team that actually went to the stadium, the SoFi Stadium. Not a single fan of the stadium. It was really – and then the next week to go to uh, Seattle. Yeah. And, you know, that's a stadium that's usually literally moving back and forth <laughs> with all the fans screaming and yelling, not a fan of the stadium. And so, yeah, it was a really, really strange year last year. Mm. Look, looking forward to a return to normalcy this year. and. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, Danny, always, uh, and you mentioned about uh, not moving and, and close to your roots and everything, and, 
and I, I know that uh, God and family have always factored in before football, and uh, you, 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 have, uh, you have a large family, and uh, I, I would assume that many of them are, are close to you in Arizona. I know you, you tragically you lost your wife to cancer going back a few years ago and that you remarried now, but uh, family, very important, and I'm, I'm sure it's a, a blessing to you to be close to many of your family members. Well, yeah, Bernie, you, you hit that nail on the head. Uh, faith, family, friends, and then football. <laughs> and that's always been uh, my priority in life because, uh, you know, faith, family, and friends are, are eternal. Football, records, money, records get beat, get broken, money gets spent, but friends and faith and family are eternal, and that has always been my motto. And, <laughs> always will be so you're right living in arizona around my around my kids my grandkids uh, is the most important thing in my life and uh, as far as other occupations i know that uh in your your home life and uh and uh you know obviously your dad's influence and and family influence uh you were musical you played the piano um i was very impressed i went back and uh, checked out your apartment your duet with linda nail and uh <laughs> And you had an album out, I believe, called Country Cowboy. That was a little bit of an Elvis twinge to your voice, I thought, Danny. I was very impressed. You might have missed your calling. There might have been a couple of more albums in your future, maybe a couple of hit singles. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Elvis. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I actually recorded that album in Sun Records studio in Memphis. Really? I recorded so many of his. Wow. So that was that was a dream come true for me, Bernie. I've always been musical. I took formal piano lessons for eight years. <laughs> oh my mom would not let me go out and play ball after school <laughs> until I had practiced the piano for a half an hour. So uh, I and, and and she was she was prophetic, and because uh, I I don't play football anymore. I don't throw footballs around, but I still play the piano and <laughs> and. Uh, I had a conditioning coach, Bob Ward in Dallas, put me through a test when I got there as a rookie where I had to hit pads on a computer uh, as they flashed up on the screen. Mm. And I I shattered the record the first time I did it. Sat there with his mouth open, couldn't (laughs) believe it. And he said, you don't happen to play the piano, do you? Ah. And I said, well, yeah, I do. I said, what's that got to do with anything? He said, well, what do you do when you play the piano? You look at little specks on a page. Your eyes send a message to your brain. Your brain sends a message to your hands, hmm. and you play what you see. And the faster you can do that, the better piano player you are. Yeah, you're hmm. right. Hmm. What's that hmm. got to do with football? Hmm. So what do you do as a quarterback? Yeah. See, you see an open receiver. Your eyes send a message to your brain. Your brain sends a message to your body, and you get the ball to that receiver as fast as you can. And the faster you can do that, the better quarterback you are. And I said, man... My mom was right all along. She ah. had no idea she was training me to be a better quarterback. Wow. That's the young people today, if you want to be a great athlete, learn to play a musical instrument. Ah. It will help train you to make quick decisions because you have to do that to play a musical instrument. Wow. So we got to give credit to your mom, not just your dad. Absolutely. For the, yep, your, your dad with the hard work and discipline and I noted from his career in the NFL, no face, no face mask, no face bar. Those were for sissies. I noted that. So, <laughs> it, it, 
it's good to see that both your mother and your father had a very profound influence on your life and development, particularly at the quarterback position, Danny. Well, Dad was, he and I were always playing something around the house, basketball, ping pong, the playing catch in the backyard. I was pitching, he was catching. It was always something. <laughs> Mom was the disciplinarian. Uh-huh, yes. He said was the rule. And uh, many, many times when I uh, wanted to go play in a game, he would not let me unless my homework was done and my piano had been practiced. And I did some work on that merit badge in Boy Scout. Mm. Those were the three things she always made me do first mm. before I could play any kind of sport. I remember sitting on the couch in the living room of our house in my baseball uniform because we had a Pony League game that night. Mm. And my mom told me I had to do finish my homework, and I was getting to that age where I wanted, was feeling my own a little bit. Sure. And I didn't do it. And I sat there on that couch in my baseball uniform all night. <laughs> and uh, I learned a valuable lesson that day. Priorities in the White Household and, uh, from a very, very early age. And uh, one of my good friends who was the, uh, the hockey coach at Boston University that I worked with for about 40 years, my second father, his twin brother would always say in recruiting, Jack, the kids don't grow up like the neighbors. Remember that when you're recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great thought. It, it, absolutely. You're, you're certainly a testament to that. A, a couple of other football references. I can't let Danny White get off the phone without asking about the unique football skill and art of the fake punt, of which I think you were about 19 for 19 in your career. And I believe the only time that you premeditated a fake punt was one of the first times you tried it and it didn't work. So that taught you a lesson. Well, there's another great story. You're right. Another great lesson. My rookie year, we're playing Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. Scores 14 to 7. We're behind. We had done nothing on offense. I was backing up Rod, and it was <laughs> the fourth quarter, and I, I, I had to do something. <laughs> I was so frustrated just sitting over there watching. So we went out to punt, and I called a fake punt in the huddle. Hmm. So it was premeditated. you got to remember that. We <laughs> right. went to fly the scrimmage. I think everybody in the stadium knew we were <laughs> faking the punt. And there were three guys covering Jay Saldi, our tight end. And, of course, it was incomplete. They got the ball. And uh, I ran the sideline. I'm just a rookie now, remember. And uh, I got on the bench <laughs> and pulled a big old coat over me, hoping that Coach Landry wouldn't find me. Because <laughs> um, I did not want to face him after that. Mike Ditka was our special team coach. Oh, okay. He just looked at me and kind of shrugged his shoulders. And I think I think he appreciated the fact that I did that and uh, was at least trying to, to do something to help the team. And I'm <laughs> sitting there on the bench looking down at the ground, and I see these two dress shoes walked up in front of me. And I knew there was only one guy thinking where it's fresh. And that was Tom Landry. <laughs> I pulled the coat back, looked up at him, and Coach Landry looked down at me and he just said, you can't do it. You just can't do it. <laughs> and I turned around and walked off. And that was the last time that I ever, or that we ever called. I mean, think about this. Yeah. I'm the back quarterback and I'm the putter. You'd think once in a while you'd run a fake punt or at least call a fake punt yeah. or at least up and line up under the center and uh, force the defense to call a timeout. They didn't know whether I was going to punt or play quarterback. 
Right, exactly. We never, we never did. That has baffled me. Well, the re- I know the reason is because I just did it on my own. From then on, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't do it, say anything in the huddle. I just catch the ball, look at the rush, especially if it was fourth and one, fourth and two. We were around midfield. You know, I took all that into account. Hmm. But, yeah, I think, and, and nobody has ever gone back. It's the only way to do it would be go play by play through uh, through each game. Yeah. And see when I ran with the ball from punt formation. But I believe that I did it 19 times. And I, I wow. don't remember ever not making it. Yeah. yeah. So it, um, that was something <laughs> that I had done all my life, just kind of street football. And uh, it, it really, it's like getting a turtle. It's like getting an interception on the next play. Yeah. Um, and I think it really helped us. Yeah. Uh, having that, and punters that are trained punters can't do that. No. I tried to get Mike Saxon to do it after I left. I finally, finally got him to do it, to try it one time. And the ball went right through his hands, hit him in the helmet, <laughs> bounced back behind him. He got hammered. He ran over the sideline, grabbed me around the throat, and said, don't ever try to get me to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized then that, you know, punters are not trained to catch a snap yep. and look at the defense at the same time. I had been doing that to shotgun. All, you know, my whole career. All the so time. It was for me to do it. Yeah. But yeah, I was a that was a part of our team that I think was unique and gave us a little bit of an edge. Yeah. Absolutely, an additional weapon in the arsenal for you. And uh, and uh, just as we we wrap up, uh, a couple of other questions. But I'm talking to the guy that threw the most touchdown passes at Texas Stadium all time. The experience. The mystique, it's obviously the stuff of legend from the atmosphere, the, the, the cheerleaders, the America's team. It, it seemed like when you, you go back and you look at your career, and I'm going back and I'm looking at uh, at the archives to get ready to talk to you, you never let the moment get too big. You, there was always a certain calm to your game, despite the fact that this was America's team. It was Texas Stadium on a Sunday afternoon or on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, that you seem to embrace that moment, did Danny, and and uh, and and warm to it, as opposed to uh, have uh, anything that would really uh, cause you any uh, great uh, consternation. I mean, I think it was more a product of the media that you know, Roger Starbucks ghost. It, it seemed like that that was something you never allowed for. Well, it was never an issue. You know, the only time it was an issue was during the press conferences when I was talking to the media. They they would just continuously asked me what it was like trying to fill Roger Staubach too. That was the only time it was an issue was when I had to answer that question <laughs> right. over and over again. But on the field and actually playing the game, I wasn't trying to be Roger. Roger, Roger in my opinion, was the greatest leader that ever played in the National Football League. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be that guy. I was trying to win games and do the best I could with my talent, doing it in my way. And it wasn't that I was out there trying to break Roger's record. Um, that was not the deal at all. But I continually got asked about it. And I, I had to answer those questions. Um, but no, I, I think it goes back to having played sports, uh, you know, growing up, and just being in the moment so much in my life that I was very, very used to it. And then it's just this gradual transition to A, 
players that I've played with that that taught me those kinds of lessons that you know, that's just football. That's just a game. Right. I mean, you apply those kind of lessons to life, to being a father and a husband and a grandfather, uh, there is value. So that that's what comes out of a football career like what I had. It's not the Super Bowl, it's not the championships, it's not the touchdown pass. It's the lessons that teach you how to handle situations in your life. And you're right, my wife passed away five years ago and you know, gave me four kids, 15 grandkids. Uh, so I miss her a lot, but uh, you know, it goes on. And you still got to live and, and take care of what you've been blessed with. And, and today, uh, Danny, you've been busy, extremely busy, it appears, motivational speaking, uh, anything from business consulting, executive coaching, uh, you do workshops, keynote speaking, uh, a, a number of uh, different roles that uh, you seem to have warmed up to, to, to really take the, the life lessons that we've discussed here today, from a Frank Cush to a Tom Landry, to what you accomplished and achieved on the field, and, and certainly the fact that you can speak from experience, knowing adversity of of uh, injuries and and uh, uh, that you faced and and setbacks that you faced during your career to uh, to once again rise up. Well, yeah, that's the real value that comes out of it. You know, learning to make decisions under pressure. Boy, what what better place to learn that lesson and how to do that than playing quarterback in the NFL? What better a training ground could possibly have? And be under that kind of pressure, not only pressure from the defense, but pressure from the from, from the media, from the fans. Right. Um, being under that spotlight and having to make the right decision, play after play after play after play, uh, and, and having a guy like Tom Landry learning from a guy like Roger Stoppa. Yeah. I've I've got a lot to share, and I love doing that. Uh, going to corporations and groups and sharing some of those experiences and trying to trying to pass on some of the things that I have experienced firsthand. You know, life in the in the fast lane kind of a thing and being at the top of of uh, that whole industry mm. is great, but it's temporary. Uh, and the, what you carry with you are those lessons, those experiences. So I love sharing that with, with groups of people and have a lot of fun doing it. We, all, we always end up with a quote uh, on our subject here on the games people play, whoever is playing with us today, and you've certainly played well with us, Danny. Uh, I, know, I know you've referenced the fact that you had very, very few, maybe count them on one hand, uh, conversations with Tom Landry during your time uh, that were at all personal or maybe warm and fuzzy and not football or technically related. Uh, it seemed like, I think it was put, uh, one of, one of the, uh, the pieces that I saw that, with Tom Landry, it was to have his quarterback or his players, I think, overall, to be an extension of his mind, but not necessarily his heart. He had to stay uh, somewhat uh, impartial about that and to, to remain objective. But that said, uh, the quote from Tom Landry uh, about, about Danny White, I don't think anybody could have followed Roger and done as well as Danny. He was, as, he was a solid winner, as fine a winner as we've ever had in football, I think that uh, really uh, captures the moment, if you will, and and the time that uh, we've we've spent today, Danny. Well, that that that's a re- 
down when you were up. Uh, he was the greatest at that, at keeping you humble when you thought you were something pretty special, and, and he could detect that in, in your actions hmm. and the way you played the game. And, and he would find a way to humble you. My dad did the same thing. Hmm. Yeah. dad and Landry were so good at that, and, and yet when you're down, I remember the time I audibled on fourth down and ran a play against the Redskins that I shouldn't have done. It cost us the game. And after watching the film the next day, and I was still red-faced. I was so upset. And he called me in his office, and I, I asked him, I said, well, Coach, you saw the film. Wouldn't you have done the same thing? And he said, well, yeah, but I wouldn't have done the same thing. It was a good play. It was a good audible. But the, your timing was bad. And you should have not taken that chance with the game on the line. And, and then, you know, he just, he just dro- dropped me down flat on the floor. <laughs> and I couldn't have been lower. And I'm walking out of his office. <laughs> turned me around. He said, Danny, do not ever change the way you play football. And he just brought me right back up. <laughs> and that was the magic of Tom Landry. And he didn't talk a lot to the players. Right. As a quarterback, I had that privilege. Experience of having him call me every Saturday night and go over the game plan, mm. of getting to know him, getting inside of him a little bit that most players never got a chance to do. Uh, he was he was a great man, a great leader, and uh, those were the kinds of things that he was so good at uh, that I will benefit from for the rest of my life. Well, the final word for me is sixty-two and thirty-two, sixty-six percent as a starting quarterback in the NFL uh, in, the, in the ultimate pressure conditions of America's team, the legacy of Danny White. Oh, for the length of Eric Wright's finger, Danny. That's all I got to say here as we wrap up. You're, 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 pretty, you're pretty right, Bernie. I, I think if Drew had broken that tackle and gained another 10 or 15 yards, we kick a field goal, we want to win the Super Bowl, and you never again hear about the catch. Mm-hmm. White Clark and Joe Montana might have changed things, but that's the game of football. That is the magic of the game of football is, uh, you know, most a play now and then can completely turn a career, uh, turn the fortunes of a franchise. And uh, it happens to everybody that ever plays for any length of time in the NFL. It was a great experience, a, 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 great, a great time to be able to play with some great players, some great coaches, and I am eternally grateful for that opportunity. Only a few know. Meredith Morton, Staubach, Aikman, Romo, and now Prescott to uh, to what it's like to be under center for America's team. And we're very happy that we had uh, Danny White uh, joining us, spending time with us here in the games people play. As I knew you would, you played very well. I'm going to give Coach Landry's critique from Bernie Corbett. You played very well with us today, Danny, on the games people play. God bless and all the, all the best to you and... Uh, uh, definitely, uh, we made a new friend uh, for our program here uh, this afternoon. Thank you, Bernie. It's, it's been great talking to you. You've de- definitely done your homework. Thank you for that. <laughs> Th- thank you. I don't know if Wizza would give me a high grade, but I'll take that from number one of the Arizona's greatest athletes of the century. I've looked at his picture right here on the wall. He says you did a great job. <laughs> okay. That's all the endorsement I need. Thanks so much, Danny White. All right, Bernie. Thank you. Danny White, our guest today on The Games People Play, want to sincerely thank him for joining us. want to thank my executive producer, Andy Bernstein, and uh, everybody uh, that makes the, uh, the Games People Play possible every week, uh, producer Brad Kastnett, 
and uh, our uh, our team that is uh, led by Brady Gardner uh, here on the games people play. And, of course, uh, the, the folks at Vintage Brand. So, for Danny White, our guest here today, this is Bernie Corbett saying, play the game well, everyone.